Welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shani, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Welcome back to the Six Hats podcast. Today I'm joined by Ranjana Velu. Now she is such an inspiration. She's the captain of a large commercial airline in India and has been flying for over 25 years. And her career started in the Air Force. So it's such an honor to have her on our podcast. So welcome, Ranjana. Thanks, Shami, so much for having me with you today. So, Roger, let's talk about being, first of all, in the Air Force and then being as a commercial pilot. It is definitely a male-dominated career. And first of all, I'd love to ask you what the stats are on women pilots in India in comparison to the rest of the world. And I'd love for you to share some stories on how you managed in a male-dominated. Any stories to share? Statistics are quite shocking, actually, when you come to think about it. Everybody considers India very backward in terms of women's rights. We're also a third world country and we have, everybody has very low expectations of how life quality for a woman would be in our country. But um, yeah, we have the highest number of women pilots in commercial aviation in the entire world. It's not just first world, second world, third world. In the entire world, India has the maximum number of women pilots in commercial aviation. And yes, my company also has the maximum number of women pilots in civil aviation in India. So we're like the company that has the maximum in the world as of today. That is incredible. And when I heard that statistic, I was shocked. And when I'm speaking to other friends and family in other parts of the world, they are equally shocked. We wanted to talk about, you know, how did you manage in a male-dominated field and any stories to share, and we'll go on to, why is that? And so we'll, we'll go on to really exciting topics. But how did you manage? Do you have any stories to share? I am actually a sixth-generation armed forces, uh, an army brat, basically. So before me, five generations in my family, they've all been consistently in the army. I always wanted to join the army. I'm really sorry to tell you all that, but Air Force was such an accident that happened, mainly because my family was always from the arms in the army, either the armored corps, or the artillery, or the infantry. So they believed that if you were the arms, you actually fought the war, and anybody else was like, you know, so below, so, <laughs> so below standard. So they were just support services. And while they valued them for support services, they certainly didn't consider them equal. So I grew up hearing, you know, things like, oh, don't behave like that. You know, like, you know, an X, Y, Z or whatever. I don't want to say those words here. <laughs> I mean, because I personally have a lot of respect for the support services. Anyways, later on, I found out as I finished my school that I couldn't join any of the arms in the army because that was not a policy in the Indian Armed Forces as of yet. That's when I found out the option I had, which closely resembled being in the arms was to join the Air Force because there I'd actually get to fly an aircraft. And that's how I just, I think I took maybe about a couple of minutes. So suddenly switched from army to Air Force and I gave the interview and uh, I cleared it and joined the Air Force. And that was an entire story of its own thereafter. Really, really, really inspiring. I know you've got some lovely, funny stories to share how, you know, you joined the Air Force, got married, You've got two children and that is phenomenal in itself to actually 
have a career in flying plus have two children. And there was one story I'd love for, for you to share is, you know, when you were actually, when the babies were quite young mm-hmm. and how you managed and how you went home to breastfeed while yeah. you were training, is that right? Yeah, that was, th- actually that didn't happen quite so much because at that time we got only two months of maternity after each child. And uh, I had a little surprise came along. I had one child and my second one was a little surprise that came along. So I had my two children very close to each other. It's a very male dominated society. So, and not society, the especially so the armed forces, it's an old boys arrangement over there. So they very, how can I put this? They were very, very convinced that having children was a woman's job, not woman's job, it was her problem. It was not a parent's choice. It was the woman's choice. And somehow they had this idea that women were taking it easy because of that. So I've had some of my reporting officers when I got pregnant the second time round, they they suggested that I abort the child. And there was no human rights considered then because it was just like very understandable. You're not doing good for the organization. So we suggest that you abort the child. And of course, that was, I didn't, I don't recollect ever getting very upset about it. It was more like, okay, this is not happening. Subsequently, when I did have the children, that's when what you're referring to, I had to go to breastfeed the child in the middle. And uh, then I was, I I think both the kids breastfeed and do all the necessary addendum work. And I told the my flight commander that, I'd be a little late because of this particular reason. And I'm really tired. I wouldn't be able to undertake some very challenging task that he was assigning to me later in the day because my younger one was only two months old at that time. So then um, I even had one uh, gentleman very intelligently convey to me that in our times, uh, what I've seen is the ladies, they just, um, they were working. Then they realized that they're going to have the baby. So they went behind a tree or something, had the baby clean themselves up, strap the baby to their sen- themselves using a sari and came back and continued to do work. And he's he's very confidently telling me this. So uh, at that point, I could have reacted in many ways. I, I cannot deny that, yes, temper was there. But I've also seen over the years in the, in the environment that I worked in, that if I gave into tears as in hurt or anger with my temper, it's just taken as uh, this is a woman and she's having her emotional fit. So they completely disregard it. So I told him, that's his ma'am uh, in the Air Force. We always consider the lady, we always just call her ma'am. I mean, it's a lot of respect given to the officer's wives, not necessarily the lady officers, but the officer's wives get a lot of respect. So I said, is ma'am home this evening? So he didn't understand this change of topics. He says, yeah, so what? So he says, no, I'll come over this evening and I want you to tell me this exact same story in front of her. And (laughs) But that was quite nice because um, he realized that he had made a huge foot and mouth blunder. I don't know what to what is to call yeah, it. Yeah, so definitely stepped over the line there. <laughs> Very much so. Wow. Do you know what I love about that story, Ranjana, is that how you reacted to it. So a lot of people will get angry, moan about it, whinge about it, but I love the reply you gave to him because it made him think, actually, what am I actually saying? You know, that's actually not true. And there's, there's a lot of like lack of respect for what women actually do. You're very right, because a lot of these people say a lot of things which they have heard or read. And to some extent, I feel some of these um, the jokes that go on you amongst men about women, which they don't, they say it 
we don't really mean anything by it but these things are oft repeated back to us in sometimes very hurtful uh, situations when you make them think about what they're actually saying that's when they realize what a mess they're making of the entire thing he would never have considered that his wife will actually have to do anything and he was a father of two sons but he was very comfortably saying it to me because he never considered the whole uh, logistics of what he is exactly what he is asking me to do absolutely absolutely and this is a great time to actually go on to the next stage where you know how did he actually do it as a you know mother with two young kids with those working conditions how did he do it and who helped you in this i think this will also to an extent it um, links up the fact that why we as a country a third world country have such a high uh, we have the highest number of uh, women pilots in civil aviation in india we still have a lot of family support yes with the joint family structure breaking down now and most of us live having uh, nuclear families uh, what hasn't however changed is the uh, family ties we may not live together but family is very important and extended family when our family when i say family i never only mean my parents and my husband and my children or something like that i would probably mean my third aunt <laughs> twice removed they're all family if they're somewhere linked there's no such thing as she's my aunt by marriage nobody nobody got no clarifies that my uncle by marriage my aunt by marriage anywhere you know they just extended family and we find them all family and the good thing about that is um, because of that there will always be somebody willing and able to take your child and help you around with that child so in my case i was fortunate enough to have both my mother-in-law and my mother and supportive father-in-law and father so i think for the uh, entire air force period majorly my children were brought up by my mother and my father that was the only way i could leave my one year old daughter and two month old other daughter at home and go back to flying just two months after having delivered the child i mean that is incredible because you know just imagine two months of you know just delivery most people you know take six months off a year off but it wasn't allowed so you were just so determined to continue your career which was important for you and you've mentioned a good really something important in india is the role of the extended family the role of grandparents and they play a major part in the upbringing of children and you can't really do it without them i want to move on to you know we mentioned about a few struggles that you have and i love there was a story that you were talking about your own struggle of trying to be perfect trying to get everything right i love for you to share on that one of the problems i think were it took me a while to identify this and why i was going through this was trying to do everything i wanted to do and be everything and uh, to a large extent i was reacting to a lot of i was pursuing a career my daughter was just 2 months old i had my parents at home looking after old parents at home looking after my children all for a so called selfish desire of wanting to have your own career so i wanted to justify to everybody and me uh, mostly i think to me that this was a decision that was worth it so and that i would not let my family suffer because of my decision so i don't know why they should suffer but anyways that aside 
so I wanted to be this perfect mom, get everything right, be a perfect wife, perfect daughter. In the bargain, I was uh, getting so stressed and it took, actually, I think it was once uh, I find that my, the grandparent bringing up the child, that is what uh, she, my mom gave me a few pointers along the way, you know, like, it's okay if this doesn't happen this particular way, you can take your time about it. She gave me a few pointers, but it never hit me. I do not remember now what was the circumstance, but it's like slowly, I'm, I really can't remember what was the circumstance, but it's like somewhere down the line, I just suddenly realized that I really don't have to be right all the time. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be perfect. And it's not only is failure something that I don't have to be scared of. In fact, it should be something that I actively look for after having tried hard and I fail. It should be something that I should actively enjoy because it's teaching me a better lesson than anybody could ever teach. And this um, realization that I can fail, I can be not the best and made me so comfortable and I suddenly found so much of peace within myself. I mean, if you want to put it that way, I outperformed my pre, <laughs> the person I was before after that. Awesome. Awesome. And that kind of leads on to, was that the journey that you took to start meditating? Did, was that part of that discovery and that revelation? It was. That is how my husband is still a serving Air Force uh, pilot. So when I left the Air Force after 10 years of active service, I joined civil aviation. And um, civil aviation doesn't give you the luxury of moving around everywhere. It depends on the airline where it has bases. Whereas in the Air Force, it's uh, fairly a norm that you'd serve in a base for maybe just about two, at the most maybe two and a half years, and then you'll shift base. So obviously, I was not going to be able to move with him from base to base. So rather than we decided on me staying in one place, so the children get a stability of uh, education and a childhood in one place, while he said that he would keep coming back and from time to time, holidays, a month, you know, every month, come and take a look at them, come and visit us. What ended up happening now because of this was I was uh, there alone with two girls. I had to raise them. I had to fly and my airline was touchwood doing very well. Uh, we were flying extensively, but my airline also had a lot of uh, layovers. That means we spent nights outside. So. There were times when my children are young and obviously I'm not going to leave them alone in the night. So I would, I would fly my entire whatever allotted sectors out and wherever I stayed the night, instead I'd catch the next flight, come back home so that I spend the evening and night with my kids. And the next day again, before I have to operate, I would fly out back to that base and uh, in time to operate the, the flight all the way back again whatever the planned route was. So while, um, you know, if I was scheduled to fly, like say about seven hours or eight hours, I'd end up actually doing maybe about 10 hours or 11 hours because of uh, having to do this up and down. And I, I have no idea actually how I did this, but that was like, um, I had to do all of this. And then the girls started growing up and all of you all who have children, you know that when children 
uh, are physically demanding as they are younger and as they grow older they become mentally and emotionally more demanding and uh, there came a point of time when i found i was um, quite messed up in my head messed up as in very stressed the stress was uh, so overwhelming that uh, i would think i don't know not only do i not know what to do i don't know if i can do anything anymore i heard about uh, meditation as a way to strengthen your mind and there were certain uh, instances of coincidence where i would be meeting people and they would discuss uh, it would just the topic would just go towards meditation so it's like something shami you mentioned to me it's like the universe was trying to guide me in a direction so finally i took the hint and i enrolled for this meditation course it's by a, a certain guru in india and i did this course and i had then i had to go and have this contact program and i had the most amazing experience because when i went for this program and the initiation was happening i had my eyes closed it was like a 20 20 21 minute long meditation program and i could hear everybody else you know people around me crying sobbing their hearts out people laughing joyously and i remember at that time thinking oh my god there's just nothing happening to me and i'm so worthless that I mean, even this is not working for me and then it progressed to further you know further think like this is your ranjana you're so so bad you know like where where are you because even this thing that works for everybody is not working for you and i've never felt this degree of self condemnation or self pity as i felt that evening and it was very surprising so much so that there was this huge fountain of grief that came just came out from like i don't know like i would feel it from the center of my chest it just came so overwhelmingly strongly that i was that when i realized i had like streams of tears running down my face it was practically wetting my kurta that i was wearing at that time and um, slowly slowly i felt myself just get lighter and lighter and lighter and then i found that i think i uh, this is just a now it is very hindsight post the event i think that was something that i had carried with me all these years this you know this feeling of just not being good enough i'm not meeting my own expectations and this is this uh, process just helped me realize that and i was finally able to acknowledge that this is what i'm feeling i have spoken to so many working women and it's a universal truth we all feel that at every point of time we are making such a choice it's not true for a man it's expected of him to, for him to put himself on priority for us it's not so every time we take that basic basic requirement of you know putting your wish you're doing it with so much of guilt no matter how much bravado we show to the universe there's so much of guilt that you internalize and that was what was that's a handicap for most of us women and when this thing came out of me i felt i i i cannot recollect when i felt lighter and this has worked for me i since then i can feel the stresses get to me in a day but if i hit my i sit down close my eyes and do that meditation for and i find i can go over stressful topics that happened on the day 
and I find such simple ways of handling them without letting my, without feeling that I need to overperform and with allowing myself the luxury of being mediocre if I need to be and not taking it personally. I realize not to take myself and my struggles and my requirements so personally. I need to be able to distance myself a little and realize that I treat myself as my friend. If I wasn't my friend, how could I expect anybody to be a good friend to me? That is such wonderful advice. And what an inspiration, Ranjana, real true inspiration. I'm going to switch gears now and I love to talk about flying. And, <laughs> you know, often I hear people afraid of the turbulence and I'd love for you to just share it with our listeners. That's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I know this sounds so cliched, but really, really, it is nothing to be afraid of. There are two types of turbulence, firstly. The first is that which is associated with bad weather or clouding. Believe me, that pilot is more scared of it than you are. Because he can <laughs> see it as well as feel it. So we're trying our best to avoid whichever the worst center is, and we're going all the way around and avoiding turbulence. What you feel is just the peripherals and very little, and that is... That is mainly because the wind is very, it's like breezy. Haven't you gone for a drive and left your window slightly open in your car? Haven't you heard, you hear the sound of the wind coming in? It flutters, it makes such a, it creates quite a racket. You'll hear your seat belts also moving. So it is something like that that happens because you have the aircraft, the wings are there. Wings are actually cantilevered. They're hinged only at one end. So the other end is moving up and down, which causes the aircraft also to move a little bit up and down. It's just that much. It's like going over really bad road with lots of potholes. So you do your best, but some amount does translate. And the second type of turbulence is caused by what is called as clear air turbulence. Now, this is something which you probably feel a little more because this is something a pilot can't see. But there's no weather associated with it. This is literally just like uh, riding the ocean where the waves are cresting. So it goes up and it goes down. So that the most you're, honestly, during turbulence, you're on, not even going more than 50 feet. And 50 feet, I'm like, if you're going 50 feet, you're feeling a lot of turbulence. 50 feet up and down, that's about it. And you're flying 38,000, 40,000 feet above the sea. So what's 50 feet over there? You're absolutely safe. There's so much of margins catered for in our aircraft these days, so many safety um, measures. And we also have been trained extensively to handle a situation where if we feel that turbulence is a little excessive, we will do our best to avoid it. So what you're feeling is probably the best level that the pilot could possibly find. You're perfectly safe in turbulence. Um, the only thing is a little bit of a discomfort. Don't be scared. That's so true, isn't it? Because all sorts of things go in people's mind and it's literally just the wind passing It's just by. the wind. It's just the wind, yeah. So true. Now, before we leave you, Ranjana, I always admire about why you're so passionate about flying. So why do you love flying so much? There's this uh, sign on my cockpit door. It says something to the effect of, no personal troubles go beyond this door. Yeah. Leave your troubles behind. It, the words say that. Just leave your troubles behind this door. I have found without actual effort 
That is exactly what happens to me when I go into the cockpit. Whatever was happening around me at home, my personal life or outside the cockpit, it just gets left behind. It's just me and this machine and what I can do with it. And uh, oh my God, I've been trained and I can do so much with it. It's It makes me feel so in control because um, I've had 25 years of flying and I've had a lot of hours under my belt now. And I, I, have, I have to admit, I'm not very bad at my job. I'm pretty good at it. At <laughs> I truly enjoy that aircraft being able to make this huge, huge machine sing exactly the way I, you know, like she, she flies the way I want her to fly. And she, that uh, machine behaves so beautifully. It's like music. It's like you, I like a, a musician will understand. It's like music for dance. It's like dance. It's like, there's this rhythm that happens. It is literally a rhythm that happens. You don't even keep considering that my left hand is moving or my right hand is moving or my leg. Now, this is what I'm thinking. It's just cues come to me based on what I'm seeing and my body moves on its own and the aircraft does this beautiful job all by itself is what it seems. You feel so powerful. I think what you're describing is you're in flow. You're in absolute flow when you're flying. It's like, it's a meditation of its own sort, of, of a sort, I would say, yes. Amazing, Ranjana. Thank you so much for sharing the vulnerability, your personal stories. I think it's such an inspiration for so many women, especially if someone is actually thinking about flying. But what it's also talked about, how important it is to address stress, how the extended family, asking for help, getting the support you need to actually be able to excel in your career as well. Loved how you talked about meditation and it was just such a savior for you. So thank you so much today, Ranjana. It's an absolute honor and joy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Like I said, once again, not many people allow me to talk so much. So I've enjoyed the session as well. (laughs) Fantastic. Remember that this is general advice only. Please see your healthcare professional for more information. So what's your take home message today? Remember, it's all about progress and not perfection. And are you suffering from stress? Visit the Usawa Learning Hub on usawa.com.au for more resources on how to de-stress, re-energize and reclaim your health. Enjoy the journey.